Uh, somewhere along the way, I started to carve out these safe areas of comfort in my life. I mean, it wasn't something that happened overnight, but as time went on, God started to bless us more. And I stopped walking so close to the edge of faith. After four years of no salary and living on Ashley's small salary, after four years of struggling with a church plant, God brought about this merger of TBA Church. And things began to have more stability. I was getting paid. And the church was growing and succeeding. Things were going well. And I took a rest. I took a rest from the roller coaster ride. And then I never got back on it. And I spent all my time carving out all of these safe areas of my life. Why do we spend so much time avoiding the uncomfortable when it's in those times that God grows us, draws us, and uses us the most? I mean, there's probably a multitude of reasons of why we do this, but ultimately, I believe it's because we stop depending on God and start doing things in our own strength. And when we stop depending on God, we stop believing that God can do the impossible. And we shrink him down and we put him in this little bitty box. And we lose our expectation that God can do the miraculous. And so we stop thinking God-sized. And we stop listening to the calling that God has for our lives because we say it can't be done. I'm not equipped. I don't have the skills. I don't have the resources. It can't be done. So it wasn't by coincidence that while I'm thinking all these things as I'm reading this devotion that our F260 plan includes this passage from 2 Peter. Let me read it to you. Let's start 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. Man, do I know what I'm doing with this thing? All right. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I believe that God is calling all of us to do things that we cannot do on our own. God-sized impossible things, and he has given us everything that we need to live our life for him fully. We don't have any excuse for not living in the uncomfortable, seemingly impossible ways of dependent faith. Now, I wanna go through these verses again, and I wanna show you what I mean, because it's so easy for us to read these four small verses and glance over them, but there's so much packed into them, and they're so powerful. God's word is so powerful, and he has a lot to say in these four small verses. I wish I had two hours, because I wanted to go through like 11 verses, but when I got through four, I was like, oh wow, I'm way too long. So, you're lucky, you get a bargain today. So let's go back to verse one. Peter begins his letter describing himself 
first as a servant. Okay, I want you to get this. It's important. He doesn't start off saying, hey, I'm an apostle. He says, I'm a servant, and I happen to be an apostle. And I find that interesting because right after he says that, he says to those through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. The ESV translation says of equal standing, a faith of equal standing with ours. Do you hear what Peter is saying here? He's an apostle. And the first thing he wants to say, the first thing he wants to make sure you understand is that you have a faith that is equal standing with his. Think about that for a minute. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that you have a faith of equal standing with Peter? You know Peter, right? The guy who walked on water. Peter, who Christ says, I'm going to build my church upon. That Peter. Here's why I think that's important. I think it's important because it's one of the excuses that we use not to follow God in, that in those dangerous areas of faith, in those God-sized faith areas. We think we don't have faith that other people have. We look at others and we go, well, man, they've got this stivy. He's got this amazing relationship with the Lord. And man, I could never have the faith that he has. I could never do what he does. I mean, we do this all the time. We do this with people in the Bible as well. We read these stories of amazing faith and we think, I could never have that. I could never have the life and the life of faith that Elijah had. You know Elijah, right? Remember that guy? The guy who calls fire down from heaven and he prays that for the rains to stop and it doesn't rain for three years? You remember that guy, right? Well, in James 5.17, James says that Elijah was just a man like we are. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. But he was a man just like you and me. And when you look at people like Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah, when you look at Paul, Peter, and the other apostles, do you believe that you have a faith like theirs? Do you believe that about yourself? Well, some of you might say, well, man, you don't, Dave, you don't know what I've done in my life or what I've not done in my life. Listen to me, you've got to trust what God's word says. And Peter says here, you've got a faith of equal standing We've got to stop comparing by a human standard. Even Peter, who walked out on water, what did Peter do? He denied Christ. And he had to be rebuked by Paul when he was caught showing favoritism to the Jews. David had an affair and murdered somebody. Paul persecuted Christians, putting, putting them to death. I mean, these were not supernatural people of faith. They were just like you and I. And our faith is in equal standing with theirs. Why is our faith in equal standing in theirs? It's because of the righteousness that we receive from Jesus Christ. Our saving faith is only available because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are given eternal life because Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he pays the debt of our sin on the cross, but he also transfers his per perfect righteousness to us. And so we have this faith of equal standing because of his gift of righteousness. Listen to me, saving faith isn't generated on our own. It's a gift from God. The best analogy I can think of is, 
If a person drowns and stops breathing, there is nothing he can do. If he is ever going to breathe again, it will be because somebody, someone else starts him breathing. A person who is spiritually dead cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. Faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies us. Yet here's the point that we often miss. We have to exercise that faith. We have to take that breath that God breathes in us and we have to exercise it. And we bear the responsibility if we don't. Saving faith is a gift from God, but how we use and exercise that faith determines how much it will grow and produce fruit. After accepting Christ, we have all been given the same precious faith as Peter and Paul and the other apostles. But if we don't do anything with that faith, if we don't exercise it, cultivate it, feed it, it will not grow and produce the fruit that God desires from his church. Now, before you go backwards and say, well, Peter and Paul were obviously better at exercising their faith than I am. I can never have that kind of faith. Look at what Peter says in verse three. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now the Greek word here for power is dunamis. And it means power, might, strength. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Not destructive, but explosive. We also get our word dynamic from it. And it's a good description because dynamic means a force that stimulates change. So by God's divine power, there is given to us an explosive force that stimulates change. Our ability to grow our faith has been given to us by God through his divine power. We have all that we need. We are not lacking in anything. So if our faith isn't growing, it isn't God's fault. It isn't that he hasn't given us a faith like Peter or Paul. We have that. It isn't that he hasn't given us a means or an opportunity to grow faith. He has. If our faith isn't growing, it's because we're not using it. It's like a gym. God created the gym, and he gave us all the things we need to get in shape and grow. He gave us a membership to the gym through Christ. And we have, ex we have access to everything in the gym, every conceivable exercise machine, weights, Zumba classes, even fitness trainers. But if all we do is sit in the gym and watch others, our faith will never grow. 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> excuse me, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, Paul makes this amazing statement of the overwhelming generous sufficiency of God's salvation. The word sufficiency in here refers to self-sufficiency which means having everything that's necessary, but don't be confused. It isn't a self-generated self-sufficiency. What Paul is saying here is that our faith is independent. Listen to me, our faith is independent of external circumstances and what the world provides. Our spiritual resources are provided lavishly by the divine grace and are sufficient to meet life's demands. We have no excuse 
Whenever we complain, well, I didn't have this and I didn't have that, God's going, no, 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 you don't understand. I gave you everything, everything you could ever need at all times, all sufficiency, so you can abound in every good work. Do you believe that about yourself? So if you're not abounding in good works, whose fault is that? Because it's not God going, well, oh man, I just didn't want to give you too many good works and I really don't want to empower you. No, God's saying I gave you everything. I gave you everything. Look back at verse three. How do we get this all-sufficient everything that pertains to life and godliness? Through our knowledge of him. Man, I cannot emphasize this enough. We talk about it a lot. It's through knowing him. It says knowledge of God, but you gotta understand what knowledge means because we're not just talking about knowing about him. And I want you to understand this, man. I really want you to get this. It's not enough to know the right things about God. And the demons in hell have a good theology. They believe the right things about God. It's not about you coming here on a Sunday to hear me and others talk about the right things about God. That's important, but it's just a very, very small part of it. Because at some point, this knowledge of him is about a relationship. It's about an intimate knowledge that we have with him. See, the more you invest and grow in an intimate relationship through prayer, and we talk about prayer all the time. Prayer is it. It's, it's the foundation through prayer, through reading God's word, being a part of this body of Christ. We've got to be a part of this body of Christ to disciple each other. The more you do those things, you're going to have a faith that is sufficient in all things, growing and able to say, God, I don't, I don't know how you want me to do this impossible thing, but I know that you're going to provide everything and so I'm going to do it. And then grace and peace are multiplied to you as you know him more and more. I mean, everything that pertains to life and godliness is given to us as we know him more and more. It's through the knowledge of him, through knowing him. So I have to ask you today, do you know him? Do you love him? Do you love this person? Because this is what God always wanted. I mean, even in the Old Testament, he didn't say, you shall know the right things about God. That's not what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, your soul, your mind. Otherwise, this is just a religion to you. And I'm just a guy up here wasting your time. That's not God's desire. And that will get you nowhere. Do you see God as a person and do you love that person? Do you love him? Love him? Or did you just love the idea of God? Or do you just love the benefits of God? That's why I hope you didn't come here this morning to tap into some sort of supernatural power, but that you came here because you love this person. You love this person of God, God who created you and loves you and sit a son to die for you so that you could take on his righteousness. My prayer is that you fell in love with him and that you trust him and that you wanna be led by him. And the more that you know him, the more grace and peace you have in your life. 
And when you're separated from him because you didn't have the time to spend with him, it drives you crazy because he's the love of your life. And you're gonna do anything that you have to do to remove whatever gets in the way of him to be with him. And the more I love him, the more I know him, the more I know him, the more that I see that I have everything I need for life and godliness. Look at verse four. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. By God's own glory and goodness, he has given us these very precious promises. Bible Gateway says there are more than 5,000 divine promises from God to us. Others put that estimate at 8,000. Either way, that's a lot of promises, right? These promises that are contained in the Old Testament and the New Testament, promises from, his, from God to his children, Promises like abundant grace, strength, peace that passes understanding, guidance for life, instruction on how to live, wisdom, freedom from sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, a resurrected life, eternity in heaven, just to name a few of them. Through these promises, we are partakers in the divine nature of God. Think about that for a minute and let it sink in. We are partakers of the divine nature of God. The word partakers is the Greek word koinonia, and we've talked about this word a lot, koinonia. It means fellowship. Fellowship, sharer, partner. As believers, we are partners in the very life of God. When you and I were born, we were born with a human nature, just flesh and blood. And then somehow through these promises, because God's word, God's words aren't ordinary words, through these great promises, we can actually be partakers, not just in our flesh and blood, not just in our nature, but we are partakers of God's divine nature. See, this isn't just a human body anymore. It's a vessel that the spirit of God lives in. It's a temple that the spirit of God lives in and empowers me to live for the Lord. Again, no excuses. And it says through that, because of these promises, I can escape the sinful desires of the world. Don't let this pass you by. Because we are partakers of the divine nature, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can escape the power of sin in our lives. There is a sin, there is not a sin that you cannot resist and that you cannot escape from. God promises that power, the power over sin in our lives. It was broken. The power of sin was broken at the cross. Now, it might be our nature. It might be our nature to have sin, but we are now free from following that nature of sin, free from allowing it to control us. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy all the time. As a matter of fact, it might be the hardest thing you ever do in your life to walk away from the sin that ensnares you and is a stronghold in your life. But you have victory. It's yours to take. You have it. It's yours. Jesus already earned it for you. You just have to grab it and fight for it and walk in it. It might be the hardest battle of your life, but it's yours. But here's the thing I want you to get about these verses. 
Because the more we deepen our relationship with Jesus, the more our faith grows, the more we understand and trust these promises that God has given us, the more that we believe in these promises, the easier it is for us to escape the sin in our lives. Is that what you want? Is that what you long for more than anything else, this fellowship, this partaking of the divine nature? I mean, don't you want to go back? Don't you want to go back to living out your faith in those uncomfortable, dangerous areas? I mean, when God calls us to accomplish the impossible, don't you want to be able to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I can do it. Through you, I can do it. See, I grew up thinking being all in for Jesus was just about attending church. Maybe serving once a month, maybe dropping a few dollars in the offering. Man, God is calling us to more than that. God is calling all of us to things that we think are impossible to achieve, to a life that is willing to give everything are you ready to sacrifice everything for God's kingdom? Do you have that kind of faith to give everything for the kingdom and the gospel to be shared? See, I believe God has such an amazing plan for you and your life and an amazing plan for TBA Church. Things beyond our imaginations. But man, we have got to get in the gym and we've got to begin exercising our faith and we've got to be willing to live in the uncomfortable, dangerous places that God calls us to. We've got to start believing these promises that God gives us. Because with these promises, we should be a force to reckon with. We should have a boldness that desires the dangerous, that desires to be in places where it's uncomfortable. We've got to be We've got to stop being so quick to saying no to God. We are so quick to say no to God. No, God, I can't lead a D group. I definitely don't have the skills to lead a small group. Man, share my faith with a neighbor. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can't do that. Go to Honduras. Sorry, not a people person. and don't speak Spanish. Lead in children's ministry. I can't relate to kids. I don't want to do it. Serving youth, and I'm not prepared to handle teenagers. Listen to me, nobody's prepared to handle teenagers. <laughs> you know that if you got one in your home. But here's the whole point. We're not meant to do any of these things. We can't do any of these things on our own. Band, you guys can come up. Noah didn't have the power to get all the animals in the ark, but God provided what was necessary for it to happen. Joseph didn't have the ability to be in a position of power to save his family, but God made it happen. Moses didn't have what it takes to free the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, but the Lord gave him what he needed to lead them to the promised land. The Israelites couldn't get across the Red Sea. God parted the waters for them. Joshua had no way to defeat Jericho, but the walls came down. David couldn't defeat Goliath, but God gave him five stones. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't escape the fiery furnace, but God preserved them. Daniel couldn't escape the lion's mouth, so God closed the lion's mouth. 
The apostles had no ability, no ability. You understand they were fishermen, right? Uneducated fishermen, people of no account, people that didn't make the cut. They had no ability to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, but the Lord gifted them and provided for them so they could do so. You and I have no natural abilities to rise and do what God calls us to do, but he refuses us, he refuses to leave us to our own resources. He's not so unwise and unkind or unfaithful to ever call us to a task without enabling us to do it. And I can't love my wife the way that Jesus loves the church, but man, I'm not left by God to my own character and strength. See, don't you see? Don't you see we've been given everything, everything that we need for life and godliness. The God who calls us to this radical way of living, this dangerous way of faith, these uncomfortable areas, a God who calls us to do the impossible meets us in those moments with this radical, empowering grace. Man, my prayer for you is for you to take courage, be active in your faith, live a dangerous life of faith in the uncomfortable, impossible ways of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your divine power has given us everything that we need for life, God, to live a life fully devoted and committed to you. Lord, my prayer is that we would be a church of faith, a church of impossible faith, Lord, a church that is on our knees seeking you, depending on you because we need you to do the impossible. God, let us not leave this place without knowing who you are, but it's because through your knowledge of you, our relationship with you, God, that we can accomplish all these things. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.